the magician's code. everybody and welcome to the magician's code my name is hadlin and this is the inaugural episode so thank you so much for tuning in and giving us your time and attention i hope you enjoy your stay and come back for future episodes because every single time we will be diving into the mind of a mystery entertainer from somewhere around the globe now on this episode we're starting off with my good friend from here in saskatchewan canada he is a mystery entertainer specializing in the realm of paranormal and psychic entertainment he performs across canada in addition he's on his seventh season of his television show incredible stuff he's got so many stories so much sage wisdom advice to share so without further ado let's jump into it and meet jeff richards how's it going man it's going amazing i mean it as well as can be expected given everything that's happening around the world right now i guess right exactly exactly and i'm so excited to have you as our first guest on the magician's code because you and i we go way back <laughs> Way yeah, back. yeah, absolutely. And I, I think what, what's what's really cool is being the first. I feel like I kind of have a, an opportunity to set the bar, so, yeah. <laughs> so that the other guys in the in the in the in that you're you're communicating with and that you're getting on the show, um, you know, can take what I do here and kind of raise even higher than that. So I, I like that I'm kind yeah. of starting as the benchmark for what people are going to expect, and hopefully, I deliver. Yeah. Oh, dude. I, I already know you do. Cause every time we speak, you have this, uh, how do I put it? You, the words you use just make you stand out apart huh. from other people. You know, that's a, that's a massive compliment. Very, uh, intellectual in how you speak. So that's something that I really, really admire. You know, I never used to speak as well as I do today. Um, I actually, Part of my story is I had a I, I had a massive speech impediment as a kid. I stuttered really? like you would not believe. I had a stutter in from about grade uh, one to right around grade three. I had this this problem speaking. Um, I had a speech a very bad speech impediment, and it wasn't until third grade one of my teachers said, um, "You know, we're going to put you in some speech therapy." Uh, through the school board and get you uh, to a point where you can you can kind of overcome this. And then she encouraged me to participate in a speech writing contest that the school was having. And so grade four, I went out for the speech writing contest, nailed it, killed my speech that year, won, took first place, uh, wow. going up against like eighth graders, I took first place. <laughs> and then I won the next three years after that, grade five, grade six, grade seven, and wow. then they ended the competition because nobody was wanting to compete with me. This is a true story. But I, I started as a kid who couldn't, who couldn't articulate, who couldn't speak wow. because of this, uh, this, this obstacle. So that's not a story I, I talk about a lot, but that's, that's, man, part that's of my, so inspiring. What, what yeah. kind of things did you work on? Well, you know, I, I, a lot of it's foggy because, of course, you, you sit in a room with like a speech pathologist and they take you through their protocols and, and their process of, of sort of becoming a better, uh, you know, it was like diction and like learning like to say words in different ways and kind of gain yeah. control over that stutter. And so there's a lot of like speech therapy that I honestly don't recall because it was like a gazillion years ago. Yeah. I was like a, I was like a first grader. Right. So, yeah. um, but I, I remember that one of the things that I initially started doing with regards to speaking was, you know, my, my teacher 
she said, you have to learn to pick words that are coming from within you, which for, for a teacher that's trying to teach a, a grade three slash four kid how to write a speech, like that was like, whoa, like, what do you mean by that? And she said, always think when you're speaking to an audience, like pick the words that come from within. So the things that you, you feel inside, use those words. So as okay. opposed to writing a speech that's just, you know, a line work page for page, you know, you're just, you're, you're creating this, this free form, pick things that are really, you know, I guess sort of like speaking your truth or coming from within you. And you'll be able to deliver those words in a much better fashion. So I always try to really speak from like within and actually like really truly utilize, you know, intuition or, you know, whatever you want to talk about that, that, that gut instinct as far as the words that should be utilized. I speak from the, from the, from the cuff a lot. And I think that's, that's maybe sometimes where, um, that, that feeling of confidence or articulation or, you know, just being very genuine with my manner of speaking comes from, because I'm saying what I'm feeling inside, you know, I'm not, I'm not reading through a script. I'm not going over something that's, you know, uh, a, these aren't words that I don't feel. I, I think that's the big part. And I'm not being very articulate right now. So I'm kind of meandering. <laughs> but you have to speak from a place where you feel truly about what you're speaking about. And genuine. Every, every, 100% yeah. genuine. I approach everything that I do um, from what I call the scope. So it's sort of this, this mandate for myself that I put into play. God, it must have been about 13 years ago where I said, everything I do is going to come from a place that's scope. And what I meant by that was it's going to be sincere. I'm going to be confident in it. I'm going to be open to feedback and receiving from my audience or the person that I'm interviewing, the person that I'm speaking with. I'm going to be patient with myself. I'm going to be patient with the process. And I'm going to put energy into it every step of the way. And so this has been my mandate for creation of, of stage show, for the work that I do with my clients on a personal basis, even like my my TV stuff where I'm out there talking to ghosts, you know, yep. I'm, I'm sincere, I'm confident in my ability, I'm open to receiving, I'm patient mm -hmm. with the process, and I'm putting energy into it. Scope. I mean, it's life-changing if you think about it. It really is. That's amazing, man. And you started that at a very young age. Yeah, it was about 13 years ago. To, 22. Being able to grow that every step of the way, too. Man, yeah. I love that. So when did you, when did you jump to full-time? Boy, uh, oh boy. So my wife had, um, she had just, so here, here's the story. I had performed at a Christmas party for a corporation that I was working for at the time, uh, selling advertising. So I worked for a radio station here in, in Saskatchewan selling advertising. And I did some of my, because up until that point, everything I was doing was sort of done on a part-time basis. And so I did part of my stage show for the Christmas party because they invited me to because they knew, hey, Jeff does these amazing things. Right. He's doing all this mind power stuff. Let's get him on stage. Right. And so I, uh, I, I got on stage that year and I did the show. And at the end of the show, one of the owners of the company came up to me. He goes, wow. He goes, that was amazing. You're fantastic. And I'm going to bleep this. But he goes... Uh, he goes, my only question is, you know, you're so good. Why the bleep are you working for me? <laughs> he says this to me, the owner of the company goes, he goes, why, why are you working for me? And I went, that's a good question. Like, and that's a really, really good question. And so that was in my mind just circulating for like, like 
weeks after. And, and my wife had came to me. She said, Hey, I'm pregnant. We're expecting our first kid. And I, the next said, I'm going to quit my job and try to do this full time. (laughs) So it was like, I thought what better time than right now Mm -hmm. to kind of jump into this full steam. Wow. You know, I've, I've got the wolf at the door. We're expecting a baby. I've got all this pressure. It's like make or break time. And so that, that it was, it was that initial sort of push by um, the, uh, the owner of the company, you know, when he asked me that question, but then it was the pressure, the pressure of a, of a growing family to kind of get out there and, and, and make it go full time. And, you know, I had friends that told me, you know, nobody ever accomplishes anything big by doing it part-time. You got to go full-time with with anything, whether you you look at anything in life, anytime you try to do something half-ass or half-time, it doesn't, it doesn't get to the point where it's huge, right? We sort of just, meander down this pathway of mediocrity for so long. And I wanted what I was doing to be bigger than that. You know, it'd been my dream since I was a little kid to be on stage like, like David Copperfield, right? I idolized that. He was my Superman when I was a kid. Copperfield was, was his specials were amazing. Oh, always tuned into those. Unreal. Like I, like I remember being like nine years old and watching his specials and going, Man, like this, this is a guy I could see as a kid because there's so many times as a child, as children, where we feel powerless. You know, as kids, sometimes you feel like you don't have the means to do great things, or you've got adults putting their fingers in your face saying, Hey, you can't do this, or you shouldn't do that. And, you know, sometimes there's situations where as a kid, you're, you're debased, you're abused, or, you know, whatever you have happening around you, which in my upbringing, um, I came from a, a home where my father was an alcoholic. And so a lot of the times as a child, I felt powerless to to my surroundings and my circumstance. So I see Copperfield on stage and I look at him and I go, this is a guy that's got power over however many thousands of people are in his audience. But also he has power over like the world. He can make things float. He can walk through walls. You know, he can, <laughs> he's impervious to explosions. Like yeah. he was my Superman. He really was. So I started looking into, you know, his methods and, and trying to kind of discern what, what was happening. What was magic? Like what, what does it mean to take an object and make it disappear? Like, like David Copperfield can. Right. So the library of everybody's story is, you know, you go to the library, you get the books, you check yep. them out. But that I, I originally, I looked at him as a powerful man and I wanted to be like him. And so my Love initial it. foray Love into it, magic man. was to have power over my circumstances that I felt powerless in. Right, 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 man. That's, that's incredible. Now, when you found out your first method, mm. how did that resonate in your mind? I, I remember as a kid thinking like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about, um, I'll talk about two moments because I remember as a kid seeing David Copperfield on stage and thinking he was like a genuinely magical being. Like he could float, he could, fl- he could fly, he could do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I started to see the methods in, in books and I went, oh, okay. So there's like real practical ways to accomplish these things that I looked at as being impossible. Um, and I remember, uh, David Blaine's street magic when that special first came out, I was, I think 12 years old at the time. 
I remember his levitation. The, he, he does he does this thing where he levitates on the yeah. street. I'm not going to name the the, the, the method. Oh. You, oh, I'll let, oh, or I'll let oh, you. Sure. I I, no, that's a, <laughs> this Google, I, I think Googling this podcast is just going to be magicians for the is most it? part okay. anyway. Okay. So, so there might be lurkers that yeah, trickle in. But, but. But so I remember seeing Blaine do that. And I, at the time we had a magic shop in Regina and I ran to the magic shop and I said, I have to, like, I need this. And so um, the owner of the shop said, oh, it's on this VHS cassette by a guy named Paul Harris. Uh, it was A1 All-Stars, Paul Harris Presents. And <laughs> I, I, the last trick on the, on the tape was the Balducci levitation. I said, oh, okay, great. So I ordered it. It came in like, Six weeks later, so I get it home. I stick it in the VCR, and I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna learn how to levitate." Yeah. After I learned all this card stuff and other bits and stuff, and okay, the Balducci levitation. This is the main event, the moment. And, <laughs> and I remember when Paul Paul did it. It looked great. I yeah. mean, he only levitated like maybe that far off the ground. Right. Um, yeah, of course. Not, not like not like Blaine. Not like Blaine in the special, where he's like you know <laughs> up here. <laughs> Paul yep. is like this far, and then he's like, "Okay." And, and this is this is the method because the way like the way DVDs and stuff work, you know, they show you the trick and then they talk about it and then they show the method. And so when the method hit, I went, "Oh, <laughs> really?" And I remember thinking, like, can this even work for an audience? Like, will will the spectator will they respond in that sort of big Blaine style? You know, pushing each other over, running away, like swearing, right. and yeah, they they still did. <laughs> <laughs> right? They still still do. And it's it's a brilliant piece. And I think it's sort of overlooked a lot of the time. Um, and nowadays, it's sort of been, unfortunately, like online and stuff, I think the yeah. method is, is very apparent. Uh, but at the time, I remember learning it. And about a month, I think a month or two later, there was a girl in my school who um, claimed to be a witch. She had all this, like, she would practice witchcraft and do all these okay. things. And she she claimed to like put hexes on people and stuff. This is a true story. And I remember I went out to go play with my group and she was with us the one night and I did two things. I did ashes on palm yeah. and I did the Balducci levitation. And I was like, she was terrified of me after <laughs> <laughs> that point. Cause she thought like I was doing real, like real magic, you know, right. magic with a K magic for her. Yeah. So it like exploded her mind. Cause I think she had sort of been, playing and dabbling but then i actually levitated in front of her and she lost it oh, with the man. balducci she That's lost incredible. her mind yeah her name her, I love I her name it was tara y was her name i'm not gonna say more than that but if, if she's ever if, if by chance she happens to listen to this she'll know but i mean yeah. she won't but yeah <laughs> but so she thought i was like a genuine like i oh, had man. powers yeah That's hilarious was, so That's it's a powerful much. thing right it's pretty much how like I thought I, I was going to learn how to like penetrate through a wall. And then I'm like, Oh, force wait. of will. Right. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that realization actual, where I'm like, yeah. Oh, but then that transcends further where you're like, Oh wait. And then you start thinking about everything differently. Once you finally understand, you know, nothing's impossible. Once I seen that the the ways that I thought David Copperfield was powerful were were things that were attainable by me. That was such a revelation. Like that, in that moment for me, magic became real. You know, because I could actually 
acquire this skill. Exactly. And that's why I think magic is real. Even though most in like most of our spectators minds, it's like, Oh, magic's fake. Right. That's pretty much a general consensus. But like, I, I think we both think of magic in a different way and it is, that's real. That is what it is. Like it's a, it's a tan. I believe, I believe it's a tangible experience. They can look at it happening and they mm -hmm. have a real genuine moment there where it's real. It's happening for that moment. You're a wizard. You, you have, you have, like, I think back to that moment with Tara where I, I levitated for her and I had power in that moment. And that was like, and that happens every single time a magician performs, whether, we as performers, and I mean, I don't do sort of classic magic now. I've, I've, I've moved away from that. But yep. we as performers have to remember that when we do something for an audience that we've maybe done a thousand times for that spectator in that moment, it is 100% real. It is absolutely real. I think when we, when we bring that moment into existence by showing it to them, that makes magic real. But I even exactly. think like when, when we talk about a magical experience or we conceive of a, a concept or we write something down, you know, words are magic. Like we, we speak things into existence every single day. Like, you know, we like, like magic needs to be thought of about more than just the method and, you know, the, the slight and the, the, the patter, you know, what you're saying, how your arms help, you know, exactly. we, we break it down as we break it down to those very simplistic things but it is real and it doesn't always have to be this powerful thing. It can be ashes appearing on somebody's palm, you know, right. like that's, that's powerful stuff if exactly. done in the appropriate way. And I get impatient with the world of magic sometimes. So I think a lot of magicians sort of debase what they're doing by breaking it in and by, by creating sort of this mentality that it needs to be something really grand in order to be relevant or in order to make an impact on an audience. I remember watching a magician once who he did a beautiful bend of a piece of silverware. And, you know, it's this wonderful moment where for that spectator, he took metal and he, he melted it with his mind. And then he basically, he literally, I should say, took the fork, he threw it over his shoulder and he went, you want to see something even better? <laughs> and then he did an ambitious card. Oh, no. And I was like, you just, I was like, you just, you had them. All you had to do is bend that one bend, mm -hmm. done. And, and that's the moment. We didn't need to upsell it to something even, even yep. bigger because in the mind of that performer, this car, this silly fork bend was a throwaway. Right. But the card slate that they'd probably spent, you know, the better part of 10 years perfecting, that was the important thing. Exactly. Right? And we need to, to know as entertainers in this field that we don't decide how the spectator feels about it you know we we don't get to decide what's better for them because every single person is different and i think with experience that's when you start to find through your presentation and you start to like play with that person back and forth you understand when to stop yeah oh and that's a big thing too you know there used to be moments where i would literally cram as a kid i remember cramming every single prop i owned into my case and i'd yep. take it to every show <laughs> everything i owned was in that so i could do i could do six hours i could do a tight six hours because i had everything everything i'd ever had was in that case and now as a as an adult and a, a professional performer with you know years under his belt as far as professional you know pr presentations in front of real audiences i now know like 
four things. <laughs> like you need like four good moments in a show. And as long as you as, as the presenter are engaging and you're bringing them into that, that's powerful. It's going to be a great experience for everybody. But you don't need your whole case. And, but you're right. It's knowing when to stop. You know, it's knowing... I, I, use, I, I said in an interview when I was, I think, 15 years old, uh, the interviewer asked me if I liked when an audience applauds. And I said, I'd rather the audience be silent. I'd rather do something and have the audience be silent because that moment of silence was where wonder lived. <laughs> and, I, I said, and, and, and the, 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 the radio interviewer was like, well, but it's good when they applaud too. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Like I want them to clap, but if an audience is just like, if they have no place to go, Right. And they can just, they're just silent, not because you bombed, but because they're going, mm-hmm. what, what just happened? Right. Exactly. Like that Cause they're just shocked into, they don't know what to do anymore. They don't yeah. know how to react. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I love the way you think about that. Cause, cause yeah, th- there's been definitely some time where I'm like, I'm, I'm hoping they run away. You know, they do the whole David Blaine thing where oh, I'm out of here and then they run. But those yeah. moments are very special. Oh, they're better than that. they're better than standing ovations, man. Like a moment where like you're one on one with somebody and you show them something and they just go, like, what? Like what just happened? And there's a real mm-hmm. intimacy there. And I find, you know, it happens now for me a lot because a lot of the time when I'm working with an audience member, I'm telling them something from their past that's like a an important memory or a touchstone of their life, or I'm making a connection with their, like a, a loved one or somebody that they cherish in their life. And I'm revealing some piece of information about that person, or just that person's name. And that moment where you say, you know, they've got a name in their mind and you reveal that name to that person. And they're just like, you can tell that there's a part of them that's, that's gone and it's changed forever. Yeah. You know, you've, you've, you've gotten in there. You've, you've literally gotten, inside of their minds, which is why, you know, when, when I look at, you know, mind reading and intuitive stuff versus, uh, versus, you know, magic or like, like slights and cards and things of that nature. I think that's why it sometimes is, it feels much more powerful, you know, card is here. Now it's not. So what in some people's minds, yep. but I think when you get inside of that mind and you pull a piece of information out from them, that there's no way you could have known that becomes that that makes that spectator vulnerable. There's nothing at mm. stake for a spectator when their card disappears, but there's something at stake for that person when you've pulled a piece of information from that lockbox that's between their ears. You know, now yeah, they've got yeah. something to lose. Yeah. And, you know, they they've got some there's a, there's risk in so it for them. When did you transition? From magic to mind reading and intuitive. I had always loved, I I first, I fell in love with, with spoon bending first. Um, Uri Geller. um, I remember there was a video that I got from the Regina public library, another VHS, uh, Dr. James Lazzarini. And he was teaching um, fork and spoon bending. And it was just very simple spoon bends and different things. And I remember seeing that and thinking, this is like really really cool stuff. Like it's like borderline, like real superhero kind of stuff. And so I'd always had a love for that. I'd always had a love for paranormal, the X-Files, 
was my number one show growing up. Like I'd in search of with Leonard Nimoy, uh, <laughs> Spock would narrate this thing from the seventies where they were basically looking at like the Winchester mystery house and like the Bermuda triangle and all these sort of like other worldly kind of paranormal type things. And I'd watched the show. Um, I'd, I'd been in love with these programs all throughout my childhood. And um, I met the amazing Kreskin at, uh, at a performance in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, of all places. Um, I had been on my own sort of path of discovery with regards to intuition at that point. Because um, I'd had some experiences where I was really looking into like, well, why do we sometimes know things that we shouldn't? Or like, what is deja vu? I remember, you know, trying to really delve into what deja vu was. Or I had a dream about a car accident. And then a couple of days after I had the dream... I literally had that car accident and that moment really, and, th and that's, you know, that's not, that's not show speak. This actually happened to me. And that mm -hmm. moment for me was one where I went, okay, why did I have a dream about this accident before it happened? What was I supposed to like, was I supposed to avoid it? Was my, was my instinct saying to me, here's this, this information I'm going to present to you, figure out what to do with it yourself, Jeff. Like what was the purpose of dreaming about that moment? And so I was, I was really actively looking into intuition as a very real, true thing. And uh, then I, I, I met Kreskin, and my world sort of went, wait a minute. This puzzle that I've been trying to unravel for myself can be presented in a way that can show other people what is possible for our minds, for our bodies, for, for you know, that part of our that we look at as the intuitive. Um, so I was, I was about 19 years old. I'd been doing, I'd been doing, uh, magic for a while. Uh, I started when I was like nine doing, doing magic. Yeah. Um, at 12, I was like professional, um, <laughs> put professional in quotes. Okay. I had, I had business cards. That's as yeah. professional as I got. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, was 12 years old. I had counts. my own business cards. Um, and so, and I'd done a number of shows in the city and, you know, old folks homes and all those sort of, you know, standard places that we all start. Um, but I was, uh, I'd been doing magic for about seven years at that point, And I started to kind of look into, you know, mind reading as, as this thing. And I started to blend in my own intuitive experiences that I'd had. Um, I have only ever been a full-time professional uh, psychic entertainer, mentalist, and mind reader. So when at the point when I had that conversation with my uh, the owner of the company, this the show I presented that night was all uh, all psychic entertainment stuff. It was book tests, different things. Yeah. And so um, yeah, I, I've only ever been a professional, like a fully full time professional psychic entertainer and mentalist. So, but I was about nineteen years old when I started to transition more so from classic magic to interesting uh what i'm doing today so yeah love 19 god it feels to, like forever ago i love how you were able to figure out you know who you are yeah i was really fortunate with that because i i, I think a part of because there, there's still performers today who've been doing it for 25 years and still are trying to find their characters you know yep. i think what i've always believed is that your character, like what you present on stage should be who you are as a person. And so I'd always had a love for these paranormal topics and they just kind of melded right in with, uh, with stage performance and presentation and working in that way. And then, you know, now with, with the television work and, and, you know, again, my 
pathway was to sort of discover for myself what intuition was for me. And I've applied a lot of those skills as a facilitator for communication with spirit. And I know there's a lot of people out there who might kind of roll their eyes at that. And, you know, skeptics are one thing. And, but I, I can honestly tell you that using, um, using a process and really honoring that process of communication and actually literally tr- and legitimately trying to communicate with a ghost, like a story about a spirit and then trying to actively communicate with that spirit. Um, I've had some amazing experiences doing that, but um, I've always been somebody who's been interested in that side of it. That's always been nestled down inside of me. So as my, my teacher put, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm using the words that are coming from within, man. I'm just yep. everything that's already in there that I've always, I've already been in love with. I've, I've brought out in my performance and my character is who I am. Like I am like Jeff Richards, the character on stage is not really that different from Jeff Richards, the guy who, you know, is out there going to Walmart, oh, that's <laughs> or, awesome. you know, driving yep. his car. Like they're <laughs> very, very, very similar. I love that because I recently, I forget what it is exactly, but they say that we have three faces. There's a face that you show the world, the face that you show your friends, and then your true face. Yeah. And I think the ultimate goal is to have just that one face. Yeah. And as a performer too, and I, I mean, I put this as a challenge to myself every day and I encourage other, other performers to do it too. Bring your, your true life experiences, that face, that, that one face, that true face, bring those experiences into your material. Yep. I noticed that the minute I started doing that, and I think, you know, you similarly, um, and I've seen from, from some of your stuff previously, where you started blending your martial arts work and, you know, you blended those things that you've been, you'd been honing and working on for, you know, more than half your life at that point, you brought those into this art form. And, I think you've probably found too, that's when your performance is really like, wow, yep. they really that's hit. That's when it changed, man. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so you have to start imbuing your actual real life experience. Like I talk about being a dad and my kids and their own intuition. And I, you know, I, I blend it like car accident stories become like sort of the, the origin story because it is the origin story of, of me as an intuitive and somebody who's investigating you know, whether the spirit world or our own abilities as people, you know, I, that started because of that dream. That was the moment that was the impetus for all of this. And so, yeah, anytime you can bring in your, your actual experience, your art just goes, it goes from here to here, like in, in just that much time, as, as long as you as a performer start talking from the heart. I remember being 12 and I did, uh, <laughs> I used to do, um, square circle. So I had a square circle that, again. that was made out of like oh, square. Yep. The, the square circle. Yep. Um, so I had, it's an illusion where you've got a tube inside, just for those who may not be familiar, there's a tube inside of a box. The box is like slots in the front. You pull up the tube, box is empty, put the tube back in, lift up the box, box is empty, and then you produce, you know, handkerchiefs or birds or whatever. And so I remember being 12 and I produced a bottle of wine out of my square circle and I poured myself a drink and I had a drink of wine, like on stage. Like I would do stuff like that. That was like so beyond my years and like who my character was. But I thought that, I thought that's what magic was. Like I thought you should be playing this character, you know, Robert Houdin saying a magician is just an actor playing the role of a man who can do phenomenal things. Well, no, why don't you just be a man who can do phenomenal things? 
right? Why not just do phenomenal things and, and have that be you as opposed to being this actor portraying a wonder worker? Just be a wonder worker. Yeah, All the most successful guys you, in our man. business have already done it. You know, they're just, just look at David Blaine. He's, he's killing it every single time that man's on TV. It's, it's real magic. And he is now, he's just a legitimate wonder worker, right? He's just doing impossible things. Even if it's just as simple as staying underwater for 17 minutes, he's exactly. doing those things, right? Yep. He's made his magic real. Which and he's is, doing it in his way. Yes. Yeah. Just make your magic real. Do, just do real things that like legitimate things that look magical. I think that's, that might even be a Blaine quote. Oh yeah. I think he said that. <laughs> okay. I love it. I love it, man. So man, you've had such an incredible journey and yeah. now you've, like, not now, but a few years ago now you've added a TV show to your resume, yeah. a paranormal TV show. How many seasons now? Uh, we're just about to go into production on season seven. Season seven? Ooh, season seven. Yeah. Wow. Seven seasons. And seven that, seasons. That rivals so many, so many shows in the world. You know, a yeah. lot don't even make it to two, let alone seven. Somebody once said that it's easy to get on TV, but it's hard to stay on TV. That was a quote that somebody told me at the beginning. I said, you got on TV. That's easy. Now try staying on TV. That's the hard part. And I feel so fortunate because I feel like I've kind of managed by hook or by crook with this show. And like my whole, my whole production, everybody that I work with on the show, I can't take credit for, you know, even like an ounce of it, obviously, because there's so many other people that are just incredibly talented that put the whole thing together. But yeah. We've been fortunate to be uh, with a network now for seven seasons and it's been picked up. It's broadcast in 11 countries across the world. You can oh, see man. it in the States. It's on Amazon down in the U S it broadcasts in Australia that's like I've got awesome. fans in Australia and it like, it's, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a real blessing, really blessed to be a part of it. That's incredible. That's, yeah. I love that. And you've been working hard at it and it, it just pairs so well with your entertainment career. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think that part of my, my mandate at the beginning too, is to try and cement myself as an expert in, in my field, which yeah. I was looking at the paranormal world as my field and, Yep. intuitive work and, and talking to spirits and all that sort of stuff as, you know, that's the field. So um, when the TV show came to be and the story of how it came to be is actually pretty, it's pretty interesting. Uh, but when that came to be, when that was given to me, um, that helped to kind of further cement that part of myself, you know, because again, the art is reflected in the TV and the TV is reflected in the art form. So what I'm bringing to people on stage, I'm not talking to ghosts in my, in my stage show for corporations, but I'm still showing them intuition in this very sort of tangible kind of real way, which right. is what you see me do on the other side. I'm on mm -hmm. my show. I'm, I'm again, that was part of my initial journey was how can we as people be stronger intuitives? Is intuition real? Can we actually have a conversation with a ghost? Do ghosts even exist? These are all questions that I tried to answer when I was 19 years old. And it's led me here. It's led, led to this program. It's led to the experiences that I present on stage now. Like it's all, it's all meandered over there. So I love it. And your experiences prior to the TV show, I'm sure have helped on the TV show and I'm sure vice versa doubt. as well. Without a doubt. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's eye opening. First, 
first of all, people look at TV work and they go, that's like, that's when you know you've made it. Like you get a TV show and that's, that's it. Your career is going to be amazing after that. Well, yes and no. I mean, it's sort of a double-edged sword, right? Because there's a lot of work that goes into TV, takes me out of my, my normal performance uh, schedule for about three months every single year. I have to go and travel for three months and work with this brilliant team of 13 people to try and talk to ghosts. Um, and, but a lot of what I've learned on the road has made its way into my stage work. And I was able to bring a lot of what I knew from you know having a background in theater and fun arts and you know presenting for real people on a you know on a virtually daily basis i brought a lot of that skill into the television program well so yeah you're right it, it was it was it kind of borrowing from both columns to kind of bring this perfect experience to the screen for people i love it man that's so cool can you talk about how you got into the tv show yeah, I want to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was such a good story. So yeah. what happened is I was um, I, I so so this is a this is a lesson in the fact that there's no such thing as bad publicity, and I really do believe that. I mean, obviously in today's era, we've seen a lot of bad publicity in reference to like conduct with with people out yep. in the world. Like we've seen a lot of people get canceled because of how they're you know because of the fact that out in the world they're not good dudes and they're doing. And I say dudes, it's mostly dudes, but they're doing bad things and they're, they're hurting people. Right. So I guess in that instance, I will put this disclaimer there. That's bad publicity. But I think that there's a point where you can take any bad publicity, almost any, and turn it into a positive. So here's an example. Um, I was supposed to do a, so I'd been doing ghost tours and seances and work with spirit for quite a few years before the TV show even came into it. Um, and so I was set up to do a, uh, an event in Moose Jaw at the Western Development Museum in Moose Jaw, where I was going to be um, taking people on a spirit walk through the museum. Okay. And I was going to be talking about the origins of seances and mediumship. And then at the end of the tour, we were going to try an actual seance in this museum, which is full of historical artifacts, to try and communicate with something that might be there. There have been rumors okay. for many years that the West, that the WDM in Moose was haunted. And so I'd set this whole experience up. I presented it to the board. They said, yes, we want in. We're, we're going to do this. They hired me to do it, to put together the press for it, the whole nine. Uh, they sent out a, uh, a, an ad in their newsletter to their members about it. And they used the term seance and, and ghost tour. And they talked about Ouija boards. And all of a sudden, they got like dozens and dozens of, of phone calls from their membership that were complaints about this event. Oh, they no. didn't want it to happen. They told me, the organizers told me they had people come into their building and threatened to protest the museum and get funding from the museum pulled because it was a publicly funded institution. So they were going to go to the MLAs and they were going to say, we're going to get your funding pulled. This is, you know, we're not doing this in our community. It was a very specific special interest group in the community huh. that targeted this and that said, we don't want this. this is, if he does this, if Jeff comes and does this, it's going to open up a portal and the entire city of Musha is going to be sucked into the depths of hell and we'll all be dead. <laughs> That's basically like, literally that was their fear. That was their fear. Wow. And so, and so, uh, they canceled the event and I was so sad because I was looking forward to presenting about 
the spirit world in a museum with these wonderful artifacts and these great stories. And then it got canceled. And uh, when it got canceled, the media picked up on the story because it turned into this organization wanted to do this fun, maybe kind of spooky, very different kind of Halloween event. And this group got it canceled. And so it got a whole bunch of press. The, The AP picked it up. I carried in stories all over the country. I was doing radio and TV interviews and newspaper left, right, and center for weeks and weeks and weeks. The National Post, that's where I got the name Canada's Most Dangerous Mind because the National Post carried a story and that was part of what they quoted saying Jeff Richards is Canada's Most Dangerous Mind because of what he's doing here. Um, And so it, it caught a lot of steam. And after that, I got a phone call from a a group of producers here in Saskatchewan that had a television show that they had been sitting on for a long time and they were looking for a host and they called me and said, you know, we've, we basically, we've seen this event that got canceled has gotten all this publicity. We've seen you interview, like, we think you'd be perfect for this show. And so, and so because of that, you know, that negative moment or what I thought at the time, yeah. It was a negative moment. I was so depressed when that show got canceled, but um, it turned into something bigger. And it, it, it really, you know, spoiler is that the, the event at the Western Development Museum didn't happen, but a group of people in Moose Jaw put together a fundraiser that we actually did at Hopkins House in Moose Jaw. We did a seance in the basement of Hopkins House, which is a very uh, famous Moose Jaw dining experience, very haunted building. Uh, we did a seance in the basement there. and. It was a bunch of money. We still donated that money to the museum um, because it was done, you know, the reason why we were doing it originally was to raise money for the Western Development Museum. So we still right. donated all that money back. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, that story just snowballed. And it's oh, what, got me, what got me on TV. And so, you know, those, <laughs> those protesters, they get a Christmas card every year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's they know awesome. who they are. Because, I mean, it, but it was just, it was just one of those moments where I couldn't believe the storm that erupted because we were going to do this. And it was really like, that was the TSN turning point. <laughs> like for me, that was the, that was the point that turned the whole game around uh, career wise for me, because I had, had the event just happened. I would have went there and did a ghost tour and great. Yeah. We probably wouldn't have gotten the television program and all these other things, but yeah, it, uh, it, it came into my world and I'm, I'm eternally grateful for it. Man, but that, that's the story that's so of how cool. I got, how I got cast as the host of, uh, of the other side. And that, that's totally is. not something you can even plan for. hundred percent. No. Yeah. That's, like that's you, rolling you, you with cannot. the punches, you know, you know, you, they threw a left hook at you, but you got back up and we have to, as performers, you know, the show must go on. So I was looking for other ways to present that material that I'd worked um, for the museum, I didn't come up with anything because I didn't have to. It just sort of, it came about. And I mean, I, I helped to kind of fuel it too. Like once the story started getting picked up, I was, you know, sending, I, I, I developed a press release and I sent out a couple of press releases and things so that, you know, other outlets would pick it up. But I mean, it got picked up initially by, you know, so many different members of the press because it was a story of this group that wanted to do this fun Halloween experiment or experience, rather, yeah. that got trampled on by you know unfounded fears of the unknown right like they these these individuals were afraid of something that they just didn't understand 
That's interesting. You, you talk about that as we're currently in something very similar to that right now worldwide. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. It's scary time. Unknown time. Big unknowns. Mm-hmm. How are you faring through it? Uh, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I think a lot of people right now, a lot of magicians and performers are trying to find a way to sort of pivot, right? Everybody's using that phrase. You got to pivot. You got to change, change your game. Um, I think I'm doing okay right now. Um, because I like, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going to be candid for a second. Everything that I've, I've done as, as with you and probably however many hundreds of people are watching this, um, everything that I've worked towards for the year has been canceled up until like August, literally. Like I had, I had events that just like evaporated galas and fundraisers and uh, grads. And, you know, even I honestly, I had a development contract in place for some television work uh, with a company overseas. And like, that's at a standstill right now. Um, You know, so I've got TV projects that are being put on hold because nobody's, nobody's able to do anything right now. Nobody knows anything. Budgets are being slashed. So it's all a big question mark, but uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, There's sort of that daily worry that the audience is a thing of the past, you know, like I kind of think like, are we going to get to a point where we can have a spectator on stage and I can be standing, you know, this close to that person and, you know, with my hand on their shoulder, trying to connect with them. Um, Are we ever going to get to that point in a theater full of three, 400 people? I mean, I think so probably, but I also think life is going to be radically different from this point forward. And I think as performers, we're going to have to find ways to adapt. I mean, even something as simple for magicians out there is like a card trick where you hand somebody a deck of cards. Are they going to feel comfortable taking that deck of exactly, cards from you and, and touching it? I mean, I don't know, because I think, I think the public perception is going to be the thing that pushes us. And no matter how we slice it, perception is reality. How people perceive what's happening, that's real. So if somebody looks at touching that deck of cards as the potential to give them, to infect them or to make them sick in some way, you're going to have a, a very uncomfortable spectator or you're going to have a spectator that just flat out won't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Card to mouth is dead. That's a thing that will never be done again. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, yeah, I that's don't think over. they're going to want to put a card in their mouth anymore. Even like balloon <laughs> artists blowing up balloons. Like I think that's, you know, now you got a, a balloon full of coronavirus. Do you want that at your birthday party? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's going to take like, some time. I think oh, it is. a lot of people are going to have that fear just going on for a while. And but fear is going to be huge. I, I think it will evaporate unless it somehow so? resurges again next year. I think the res- if it comes back again next year, then that's the, the turning point, I believe. You know, we as performers, need to figure out a way to be the people that quell the fear a little bit Mm -hmm. too, you know, because I think that throughout history, you know, people look to art for comfort and magic, mentalism, juggling, mime, whatever we're doing, it's all art, right? So people are going to be looking towards us for comfort, which is why it's great that a lot of performers have taken to online platforms present what they do like online magic shows or yep. you know you know bringing bringing these wonderful things like we've got uh here's a sketch we got richie with big time game shows bringing this this wonderful game show experience to yep. to people right across the world i mean 
art is bringing comfort right now. And that's amazing. And we should continue doing that. We should continue, you know, quelling fear by, if at the very least, just being a distraction for a little while. Maybe that's all we can do right now. Yep. Yep. Which, by the way, Richie's on the next episode. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. He's I'm excited. He's, uh, he's, he's making a lot of people really happy right now, which is so good. So good to yeah. see. So super important during these times to just spread joy. Absolutely. As as possible. Without a doubt. Yeah, man. Okay. So what else? Let, let, I don't let know. Me, let me hear, let us hear something that, you know, I'm, I'm looking in the background on your camera and I see your collection. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Know, okay. Like yeah. what are, what are some things in your life that you, that you do outside of entertainment that, you know, help you to, cause a lot of people recently it's all about that hustle mindset where you just work, 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 and don't take breaks. Right. Like what are yeah. some things that you do to unwind and reset your mind? Okay. Uh, oh, good. Um, well, I mean, first of all, I'm just as fragile as any other entertainer out there and that I'm always looking for validation from a group of strangers. <laughs> We're always, we always want to be like, hey, yeah, you're amazing. Uh, we all, Always that. Um, so I love interacting with people via like live mediums, like Facebook Live. So sometimes I'll just throw up a Facebook Live on my my Facebook page, um, just to interact with people that are interested. And I, I look at that as a way to unwind. So that's kind of me, you know, maybe having that hustle mindset because I'm I'm still presenting material to an audience, but at the same time, I find it really therapeutic to be in front of people doing something. Right. Yeah. So that, that helps me unwind. You know, I, when I did, I did a radio show for three and a half years here in Saskatchewan and, and going and sitting in the booth every night and, and doing that show that helped me unwind, even though I was on and I had to perform and present, you know, being on stage or presenting for people, that really does help me. So I want to say that first and foremost, but mm -hmm. I mean, I'm busy. I have four kids, so I don't have a lot of time to unwind, but, but when I do, um, I love, I love gaming. I'm a gamer. Um, I get sucked into a game and it seems to kind of just take over. Uh, I collect shoes. I'm, I'm, I'm not like a lot of people might that are actual sneakerheads, which I think you are a little bit, right? <laughs> I mean, we'll look at my shoe collection. Yeah. But they'll look at my shoe collection and they'll go, Oh, okay. Cause I'm a Vans guy. Yeah. I love, I love Vans, Vans footwear. Um, specifically if it's got like a Disney character on it, I'm all about that. So like I, I collect Disney vans. Um, I go, I go to, I try to go to Disneyland a lot cause I unwind that way. I love okay. Disneyana. I love the experience of the parks. Um, I collect plastic toys. That's what's on the shelf back here. Uh, 300 little like three and a half inch vinyl figures, Funko pop vinyls. I love the things I collect them. Um, they're my way to unwind because I love getting in and grabbing that little piece of nostalgia and putting it on a shelf and organizing okay. it. Um, I love body art, man. Every time I get a tattoo, that is like, that is supreme therapy. You want to talk about resetting your mind. Anytime you're getting any ink done and you're connecting with that artist or you're having them produce a piece that you're going to put on your body. For me, there's just something very therapeutic about the whole process of getting a tattoo. So, you know, shoes, toys, and tattoos. And occasionally I play video games. 
That's how yeah. I unwind. I don't I read it. nearly as much as I should. I used to have a, like this, this originally, this shelf here was originally built as a bookshelf. Oh yeah. My wife had it envisioned because we got our basement redone, I think in 2016. So a few years back. So she had envisioned in the office, we're going to have this big bookshelf with all these books on it. Um, and so I was away filming and I came back and she had actually repurposed the shelf and got the, the contractor who designed the basement to make it so that the shelf would perfectly fit my collectibles. So it, she, she repurposed it in that way, which was a really nice surprise oh, wow. uh, because I realized that I don't read nearly as much as I, as I probably should or would like to, because I used to really love the experience of opening a book and reading. And I still do. I still read a lot, mm-hmm. but it's not how I unwind anymore. Like I've, I've migrated away from that as leisure. Cause I mean, you can probably relate a lot of the time now when we're reading something, it's work right? We're learning, we're enriching, yeah. we're like, I almost never read like fiction. It always, it's always nonfiction. And it's usually based around empowerment or our abilities as humans, the mind, the psychic world, the paranormal, you know, all those things are now work and research. Yeah. I'd much rather listen to a book than read it personally. Yeah. Yep. I hear you. It's, uh, it's easier to digest. I can do other things, multitask, you know? <laughs> So yeah, yeah I, I, I unwind with collections and, and whether that's art on my skin or pieces of, of, you know, fun toys in my collection. That's, that's how I unwind. So you're still Shoes, human toys, in, and in other words. Yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. All right, man. 100%. There's, there's a question I'm going to be putting in every episode and it stems okay. back from one of my old podcasts back in the day. And I just think it's even more relevant in the magician's code. And it goes, I want you to imagine a hypothetical situation where in the future, a, let's say it was a, an evil magician, maybe, maybe an evil hypnotist or something where what they did is they erased everything about Jeff Richards from the minds of the entire world. It's gone doesn't exist just yet it's it's erased they erase their minds somehow doesn't matter but you now have an opportunity to instantly reverse it by finding what screams jeff richards like what is it about you that the moment you do this say this create something would instantly bring everybody out of it So we're talking about so, like a, a piece or a word yeah, or, you know, maybe it's a word, maybe it's a, maybe it's a piece of art, but something that when people see here, you know, consume it, it's, it screams, Ooh. that's Jeff Richards. I got to be careful here because I feel like I'm, I'm, this is a big question. Um, <laughs> wow. This is sort of like rewriting history in a way. Um, mm. You know, honestly, um, and it's it's going to sound maybe cliche to say as a dad, but I would say probably, I would hope that when people look at my kids, they see, oh, they remember Jeff. Because a lot of my, like I've got four little boys, uh, three out of four of them look exactly like me. <laughs> the, the fourth is blonde and looks a lot like my wife, but the rest of them I have, they look like me. Um, 
so I would hope that when people, my kids, they would, they would remember that. But okay. I think, I think cool. the, the, the thing, yeah. And, and maybe kind of obligated to say it, I think <laughs> in a way, uh, well, no, I, I think the thing that for right now would draw me back and, and the thing that would have people remember who I am, honestly, I would hope would be my stage show. You know, I, I've, I've woven so much of who I am as a person into that 60 minute experience that it is very much who I am. It, it's got so many moments that are, you know, pulled from my life and from my own personal experiences. It's got power. And I think that I, I, I like to think of myself as a powerful individual. I mean, I might not command power in the, the world. I'm not a CEO. Like I don't have, you know, political yeah, power, yeah. not that kind of power. But I think that when I step onto the stage, there's a certain power that comes forward in, in confidence and, and being able to deliver. And again, speaking those words that come from within, that truth that comes from within. Um, so yeah, I, I would hope that my stage show would, if people, if I know if I've got DVD recordings of it, if people could find one of those and pop yeah. it in the DVD player and that would be the code that would code that un- see me, un- see me coming, coming back out of the, the depths of this evil, this yeah. evil magician's uh, connection or just old newspaper clippings of me. This <laughs> 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 is a box of old dusty clippings. I, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, Cause I think what, what you're, what you're kind of asking there is like, what's, what's the, what's the touchstone of your career as a person? Like, what's the thing that you are going to be remembered by? And, sure. you know, maybe, maybe I haven't even gotten to that point yet. I mean, right now, I think it would probably be the TV show too. Like people will remember that for years. Yep. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's, that's a scary question. Cause it kind of, it kind of makes you think about your own mortality in a way. Like, why do you want to, what do you want to be remembered by Anthony? What do you want on your gravestone? Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, right. right. What? No, no, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that right now. It's, as I was sort of, as I was getting ready to come on the cast with you here, I was sort of thinking about like my roots in magic. And so I actually dug out like an old box of like, cause we all have that box of like old press or promo photos or business cards <laughs> or whatever. And I had forgotten about this, this article that was, that's me. I'm 15. This is 20 years ago. Wow. Uh, it's missing. Sorry. It's a stud, but it's actually student. Uh, <laughs> but like, I, I forgot about this article and I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it and I, I it kind of made me remember a little bit about why I do what I do, which, you know, right here I love I love to stun people I I say that that's a quote I love to stun people I love to kind of get that that awe that silence out of out of an audience right so yeah I guess my stage show in all those moments where you see the jaw drop and the spectator is just like that would be that would be the thing that would bring me back I guess but I yeah it's all I don't know I don't know what a question that could be a whole podcast in of itself man (laughs) just that question that's why I love it because you know no one can expect it, and it's it just elicits very what true about you? responses. What about you? What's the thing for you? Yeah, I don't know yet, man. <laughs> you don't know yet? I don't know. I I, I love I, think, I, I love yeah, this I kind of interaction sure. too. Like I love I love being 
on your side of it where you're asking the questions. Like I, when I was doing radio, I loved interviewing people and getting to like the meat of the human, mm-hmm. you know, and, and asking those important questions. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd be curious about, about yours. I'd like to turn the tables on you someday and find yeah. out what, you know, uh, what I'll have you back your, on one day. Thing would be. I'll, I'll definitely have you back on one day. And I think what I'll do is I'll just make it like a running thing where no one knows yet. I want to interview Hadley. <laughs> I want you, maybe you'll, maybe I'll, I'm going to start a podcast now and I'm going to interview you. Well, you, you <laughs> did. I do. Yeah. And I, I do, I do have a podcast. It's sort of, it's, I'm still looking for a home for it and it's kind of been backburnered, unfortunately, because of coronavirus. Um, but yeah, yeah. now is actually a good time for me to, to work on it. I've got uh, Jeff Richards in the Great Big Impossible podcast, which is just, it was, again, it's going to be, it's me just talking about my, my life and my experiences and things I love from toys to shoes to tattoos to whatever. But I, I want to ask you that question one day because I, I want you to think about it because I think that's such, that's such a good question for us as performers to think about. You've got a spectral being over your shoulder there, by the way. Yeah, no, that's that's Terry. Okay, heading, <laughs> that's like it's, there's, there's a spirit there. Oh no, there's today, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. See you later. Ow. Bye. Oh, she, she just hit her elbow on the. Oh boy, not not cool. That's no good. <laughs> oh my! That looks delicious. She's showing me an image of something. She's grabbing some food. That looks awesome. Chicago ribeye. Chicago ribeye. Oh, wow. <laughs> Bye. See you later. <laughs> Things cool, to make man. the podcast more relatable, right? Yeah, exactly. We're all human beings. That's the thing we have to remember. We're all just humans trying to get through, right? Yeah, exactly, man. We're trying to live and, and let's just support each other. And I think that's one good thing that's coming out of coronavirus is that uh, we are going to come out of this a kinder, kind, kinder, not kinder. A kinder, gentler society. I re- and I believe that. You know, oh, I yeah. think you see it's... so many instances where people are just being warm and loving and helpful. Um, it's a common yeah. enemy, you know? Yeah. Have we ever you had see it one? in movies all the time where it's like yeah. this the alien world is united. there. The yeah. world unites because there's this foreign thing. And that's kind of like what we're living through right now. And the, and the world yeah. is coming together. It's It's awesome. Yeah, we are not going to be defeated by this. No, it's no. inspiring. Exactly. It's inspiring, man. So, Jeff, how about you share with us how people can find you and all sure. the different means and platforms? JeffRichards.ca. Um, that's, that's the website. You can find me on Twitter at RealMindReader. Instagram, same thing. Uh, on Facebook, Facebook.com slash talk, T-A-L-K paranormal um you can find my tv show on whoop what's happening here my tv show on aptn uh aptn.ca slash the other side or the other side tv.ca i'm uh, i'm all over the place but uh social media it's usually at real mind reader or just google jeff richards uh jeff richards ghost jeff richards medium jeff richards psychic jeff richards mentalist yeah. any of those will bring me up in some some form Perfect. Speak, speak <laughs> me into existence that way. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Jeff. Hey, no problem, and man. It's a pleasure. It such a pleasure to speak with you. And I learned a lot about you and just 
how to think about magic and in a more broad and and narrow way at the same time. Like, yeah. Awesome. I love it. Silence is where the wonder lives. Seek silence, not applause. Right. Exactly. All right. All right, man. Till next time. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your day. You too, man. Take care. All right. Take care. All right. There you have it, everybody. That was Jeff Richards. What an amazing guy. He's so smart, has so much wisdom and advice to share, so many amazing stories. And I can't wait to have him back on the podcast. Now, if you like this, please subscribe. Come back for the next episode because we're going to continue interviewing amazing mystery entertainers from around the world. And if you'd like to support us in any way, shape, or form, head over to patreon.com slash Hadlin, H-A-D-L-E-N, and you can support the Magician's Code there by becoming a patron on there. Uh, what you'll get is behind-the-scenes video, whether it be the video portions of these interviews, which contain a little bit more extra nuggets at the beginning and the end, as well as we're going to be offering you to be able to jump in live and be there as a live quote unquote studio audience. So if that interests you in any way, that would be very much appreciated if you could jump on there and support us because this podcast is going to be going on for a long time and it is going to be a brand that continues past just the audio as we add in the documentary portion of it where we go through various magicians lives and document what it is to be a magician in today's day and age and every episode of that series once the pandemic is over will feature an individual mystery entertainer. So I'm super excited because that exercises my love for videography and creating art, essentially, because it's magic, it's video, it's learning and growing, it's everything combined into one singular project. So that's exactly why this project is just going to keep on going. So thank you again for tuning in. My name is Hadlin, and I'll see you on the next episode. Have a great day.